0: Hey man, it's good to be with you this morning as I collect my Bible. If you have little ones through grade four and you'd like them to be in children's church, they are welcome to uh, go down to uh, downstairs Sunday school time and it, their teachers will meet them in the foyer. If you'd like to keep them with you, you're welcome to do that as well. If you would, the rest of you, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Will you do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's good to be with you this morning on this... Uh, Lovely fall day where it'll be 76, and I'm not complaining about that, are you? I'm not particularly looking forward to when it's 26 and we're here, so it's good to have the, a nice break. God's plan for a healthy church as we have worked our way through over uh, the last several years through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, highs and lows of ministry, in particular here dealing with hardship, 2nd Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 4 through 7 today, so you can turn there if you'd like. You perhaps recall a story of a blacksmith who gave his heart to God through, though uh, conscientious in his living, he was still not prospering materially. In fact, it seemed as if that from the time of his conversion, more trouble, more affliction and loss were sustained than ever before. Everything seemed to be going wrong. One day, a friend who was not a believer stopped. At the little forge to talk to him, sympathizing with him in some of his trials, the friend said, it seems very strange to me that so much affliction should pass over you just at the time when you have become an earnest Christian. Of course, I don't want to weaken your faith in God or anything like that, but here you are seeking God's help and his guidance, and yet things seem to be getting steadily worse. I can't help wondering why that is. The blacksmith didn't answer immediately, and it was evident that he had thought some of the same thoughts before, but finally he said, you see here the raw iron which I use to make horses' hooves, shoes for the hooves, you you know what I do with it? I take a piece and I heat it in the fire until it's red, almost white with the heat, and then I hammer it into the shape as I know it should be shaped, and then I plunge it into a pail of cold water to temper it, and then I heat it again, and I hammer it some, and... And this I do until it's finished. But sometimes, he said, I find a piece of iron that won't stand up under the treatment. The heat and the hammering and the cold water are too much for it, and I don't know why it fails in the process, but I know it will never make a good horse's shoe. And so he pointed to a heap of scrap iron that was near the door of the shop, and he he said, when I get a piece that can't take the shape and the temper, I throw it out on the scrap heap, it'll never be good for anything. He went on and said this. I know that God has been holding me in the fires of difficulty, and I have felt his hammer upon me, but I don't mind. If only he can bring me to what I should be, and so in all these hard things, my prayer is simply this, try me in any way you wish, Lord, and shape me into a tool that is good for your use. As we continue our study of chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, we're tracking through Paul's encouragement in the highs and lows of ministry. The first three and a half verses have given us some important principles on dealing with disappointing responses. I'd like you to look there with me, and we'll just read through it very briefly. Verse 1 starts this way, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for verse 2 he says, at the acceptable time I listen to you And on the day of salvation I helped you, behold now is the acceptable time. Behold now is the day of salvation, verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. And here in these verses we saw some principles to encourage us when things don't go as we hoped they would go, and that's really the situation Paul is facing. he just come off of the previous chapter where he told the Corinthians that they are ambassadors of Christ, that they've been given the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And then right away in the very first verse, he says, um, I urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So obviously the response is not perhaps what he had expected. And so uh, there were some things that we picked out here that kind of help us understand how Paul keeps his, keeps his balance in the hard times. And the first thing that we saw here is right at the very first, uh, first three or four words, working together with him. And we just noticed that, there should be a feeling of honor connected with the fact that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, a word of reconciliation, that we've been given this ambassadorship. We get to work together with God as uh, we do the work of the ministry, and there's nothing really to compare with that. And that helps Paul keep his balance. He understands that he's gonna have to do these things, and he does, uh, God does what he wants to do, and you're working together with him. And so that is an encouragement to you. The second part, as we saw, is a sense of investment. Uh, some weren't doing what they needed what needed to be done paul is invested enough not to be content to let it stay that way and uh, and this is what will always be the case in ministry that there'll be people who don't do what they need to do there people who don't, don't come when they need to come there's be people who will fall far short of perhaps where they should be in their walk with the lord and so there's this sense of investment the sense of dedication still that he uh, is committed to them and and verse 3, or the, the, next, the next one that comes up, and, it's, and we saw this, and it's continue in exhortation. It, it, the fact that uh, th- people will always do this, this is part of the ministry, you're working together with God, you are invested, you're dedicated, and so it's always going to be this way, and, and then you just have to continue in exhortation. That's the idea, continue reminding, continue encouraging, continue calling people back. And we saw God is a pleader through the scriptures and and he always calls his people back and you are here as God's ambassador. And regardless of your ministry, it might be your chief function to be someone who calls people back to where they should be. And that shouldn't be discouraging. That should uh, let you know that you fall into good company. You fall into the company of the prophets. You fall into the company of those who came in the first first century and called people back to the Lord. And so Paul reminds them uh, to take all the effort that went into their regeneration and act on it don't make it all in vain and he just continues to do that and then we saw number four paul kept his sense of urgency now is the day of salvation now is the accepted time and we're to keep our sense too because when people slip backwards and when and when you have to go back over the things you covered already it's easy to lose the intensity and he keeps saying you know now's the time now's the day let's act on it let's talk about all god has given us to do and in all uh, of these things uh, give no cause for offense and that's the last one uh, that's the principle of personal assessment or self-evaluation. Paul says, uh, behold, now is the acceptable time. Keep coming back to it. Now is the day. This is your job. Call them back. And then verse three, giving no cause for offense in anything. So the idea there really is Paul wants to make sure that in all of the slipping backwards and all the underwhelming uh, perhaps uh, responses that are happening regardless of what he's doing he wants to make sure that he's not giving offense uh, paul always wanted to make sure he wasn't the cause of someone stumbling or the cause of someone in their underwhelming response so he evaluated himself all the time to make sure he was not a giver of hindrances that's the idea i'm now giver of hindrances cause giving no cause for offense in anything and you shouldn't be responsible for it that's what paul says at any time for anyone and so it's based on this constant evaluation with the illumination of the holy spirit of actions and motivation and integrity and morality. And we looked at all that stuff last time. And the ministry that Paul's talking about, no cause for offense in anything, that's his ministry. But in a greater sense, it's the ministry of reconciliation. In the ministry you're doing, whether it's teaching or discipling or or whatever it is, bringing them along, uh, if fault could be found in Paul's ministry, there were plenty in Corinth who were only too prepared to find it. And then presumably that could be used as an excuse to reject the message. And people who, who uh, don't want to do what the Word of God says are always looking for reasons why they're not going to do it. They want to justify their actions. And so they're always pointing towards someone or something, and you want to make sure uh, that you're not actually at fault. They can point at you all they want. That doesn't mean that you're bearing the blame. And then Second uh, Corinthians six four. that's our transition verse. And verse part of verse 4, he says, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. And this is where we pick up today. He's going to list off some of the reasons why they should recognize that he is a servant of God. Commending, in everything, commending ourselves. If you're making sure you're doing the first four things we looked at, and, and this fifth one of a personal assessment, then this next part is going to be true. And Paul's going to give him some reasons why they should recognize him as a servant of God. He doesn't do this very often. In fact, he just says this and my conscience is clear, regardless of what you may say, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but he's gonna do this, and he's not gonna do it with words or thoughts or a reference letter from some other person they may respect. He's not gonna reintroduce himself uh, to them and say, hey, look, this is what these people say about me. He's just gonna point out some of the things that he's been through and how he handled them, and those then, by default, how he handled them, and of course, the scripture says, Paul tells us to follow him as he follows Christ, so they become applicable to us as well, and you'll see in just a moment, but so he's gonna take some of the things he's been through and how he handled them And then he's gonna show that that's why he's commended to them as a minister. And we're gonna pick up on some of those principles along the way as part of Paul's intent in his instruction. So we'll know uh, how to commend ourselves uh, as a servant of Christ. So he's informing the church, we get informed about how to go about that and how we manage our hardship. And and that's really what Paul's gonna do. He's gonna look back at some of the hardship Uh, That he's been through that's going to be the way that he commends himself to them and that's what we're going to see so let's read the next four verses from our passage 2nd Corinthians 6 4 look there if you would with me this is our transition section but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God here's our new passage in much endurance in afflictions in hardships in distresses verse 5 in beatings in imprisonments in tumults in labors In sleeplessness, sleeplessness, in hunger, verse 6, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, verse 7, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Now, the very next three words after our transition verse is, through much endurance, and this appears, as you read that passage, and perhaps you can pick that up now as you see this, this appears to be the general heading for the nine things Paul uses to commend his ministry. Uh, endurance is the Greek noun, hupomone. You, you know this word as patient endurance. We've seen it 29, it, in fact, 29 times in the New Testament, it's translated just like that, patience, patient endurance. And so, much patience, you can look at it that way. Much patience. So, if you think about the verse, then in much patience, and then he goes on, and then what? In afflictions, and hardships, distresses, and beatings. So, there's much patience in those things. And I think that's how we can look at that. I think that's Paul's intent here. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, we saw the same word uh, before. We looked at it a couple uh, weeks ago. The writer says in Hebrews 10:36, he says, uh, he says, "For you have need of endurance." So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised the, the church there we noticed in Hebrews is in the middle of difficult times and they are told to have much patience. That's the word same word we're using. It implies here in Hebrews that they aren't currently exercising much patience. They don't have the endurance they need in the hardship, but it's available and can be part of their coping skills in the middle of adversity. And so that's the idea in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And that's a perfect illustration of our passage this morning. In much endurance. It is the general heading for the nine things that Paul uses to commend his ministry. Much endurance. And it's going to prove to be the main ingredient for dealing with hardships that we might consider, as we have labeled this section, the highs and lows, that we might consider the lows of ministry. And I put that in kind of um, parentheses because we understand from other parts of Scripture that we're to rejoice sometimes in these things, because we know it's accomplishing some things in our life. But we'll just say, these are the lows of ministry. As we go through, you can see, I think in general, as the world looks on, perhaps even as it initially attacks you, you would consider it a low of ministry, not that the Lord's not going to do something with it. So these are, these are the head, this, in much endurance, is going to be the, the general heading for the nine things he's going to use to come in his ministry. Now, As Paul uses it as a general heading for everything else, it is the right place for us to glean our first principle, as you can see on the screen. If you're a note taker, you can see that on the back of your bulletin. That first principle in dealing with hardship is endurance. It is endurance. That might not be what you want to hear. You might be praying on a regular basis, Lord, take it away. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it, to our ears? Because Paul said he's had some hardship and he asked the Lord to take it away. So it's not an uncommon response, but endurance is the is the general heading, and it is the right place for us to glean that first principle in dealing with hardship, it's endurance. Hebrews 10.36 says we need it, and I think we can understand from Paul's statement here that it has the primary position as he thinks over the past ministry experience and looks forward to whatever the future may bring, and as he's gonna come to them and say, I'm gonna commend my ministry to you, the first thing he says is it's gonna be endurance, endurance. Now remember, Paul is answering the first part of this verse, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. So it may seem strange that Paul should refer to these things uh, listed here to commend his ministry. And I think the further we get into them, the more strange they're gonna sound to your ear. Because we've been conditioned in the modern church to think that Christianity equals everything perfect. We we think that that's what that means, and we're gonna talk about that, why we think that uh, in in just a minute. But it may seem strange to our ears that these are the kinds of things he lists to commend his ministry. But under, underlying the reference really is the recognition that there are common experiences that, are true, uh, that are all true servants of God are going to share. And there are common responses that commend them then to the ministry. And I would say this to you, and I think through this, those responses are going to look quite a bit more like Paul than they're going to look like Joel Olstein. And they're gonna look a lot more like Stephen from Acts six and seven than Stephen Furtick. And they're gonna look a whole lot more like John Huss than John Hakey. Okay? So think as you think through this, understand the church has been conditioned to think one thing about some of these things. And I would say to you that perhaps Paul is gonna call us back to a proper understanding of some of the things that he says. I'm gonna use these to commend you, to commend myself to you. And by then our understanding and assimilation of that teaching, that's how we can commend ourselves then in the ministry. I'd like you to hold your finger right there and I'd like you to turn. This is not a foreign concept of the Word of God. Look to Matthew chapter ten verse 16. Hold your finger here in 2 Corinthians 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. We'll just be there just a minute and you'll be back. I want to spend just a minute kind of setting setting up your understanding here because this is very common. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's talking to them about what's going to happen particularly right now as he sends them out and later when he's gone. And so I think it's important that we look at this. So uh, Matthew chapter 10, and we're gonna pick up in verse 16. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Verse 17, but beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, verse 18. And you will even be brought before governors and kings. Why? For my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So bad things are going to happen, but it's going to be for the Lord's sake and as a testimony. And so I think that's important to note. He's going to say, don't think you're doing wrong just because bad things are happening to you. Don't think uh, somehow I'm against you because you're being brought into the courts and somebody is going to turn you over in the synagogue and you're going to uh, get us uh, some kind of scourging or a whipping. Okay? Okay? I'm doing it, you're doing it for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 19, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you're to say. Verse 24, it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 22, and you will be hated. Why? Because of my name, Mark this phrase, but it is the one who has, and here's our word in the verb form, endured. There's our word. you are the one who's endured patiently. You held your ground. You endured through all the difficult times. See, the one who's endured to the end will be saved. So, what does that mean? If you endure, then as a reward, you get salvation? No. It means you indicated whose you were, right? You indicated who you belonged to. You indicated you understood, and you had the strength because the Holy Spirit was dwelling in you. You endured these things. I'm telling you in advance, it's going to be difficult. Just endure them. Endure them for my sake. You're getting them because of me, and it's a testimony to those who watch. So they are approving themselves, aren't they? And when they come back, after enduring those things, they'll be approved, right? You did what you were supposed to do. You commended yourself well. Now, verse 23, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Mark this, verse 24, a a disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. Verse 25, it's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of the household? Therefore, verse 26, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So you're answering to a much higher calling and a much higher directive than anything people are going to tell you. Just do what I say and endure to the end, and you'll be commended. I mean, it's, it's early on in the ministry of the disciples. This is not going to be uh, this pleasant little stroll down a really padded, wonderful path that everything is insulated. You're insulated from everything. That's kind of how we kind of perceive Christianity. Not we, I don't think we do, but I think in general, I think this is the reason why people have such a hard time. They've been presented a gospel that's inaccurate, and then when hard times come, they're having a difficult time. And they're just bailing out. Well, this can't be true. This can't be what Christians are about, much like uh, the critic of the, of the blacksmith. I mean, you're a Christian, I don't want to discourage you, but, you know, that doesn't seem to be in line with what we would think about somebody who has a relationship with God, right? So, Jesus tells his disciples, hold your ground, patiently wait, endure, endure, endure. When the hardships come, when the trials come, when people are unkind to you, when difficulties pop up, endure, and you'll be just like your master, see? Because if they called the head of the house, Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? And if they persecuted and whipped the, the, the master, what are they going to do to the servant? So just endure, endure hardships, difficult times, difficult people, and all that. And when you endure, you'll be just like the one who called you. And that's, pr- that's pretty special, right? And that's pretty good company. So, you're kind of setting the stage here. Then, in Hebrews chapter 12, it's another great illustration. I'll put it on the screen three times. It applies uh, here to Jesus, but it's our word. So, as we think about the master, and we want to be like him, think about this passage. Therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Catch this. Let us run the race with endurance. That one that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured. There's our word again in verb form, the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him, here's our word again, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because the servant's not greater than the master. Because if they call the head of the house Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? You're going to go through difficult times, and you're going to be betrayed, and people are going to uh, punish you and all this. And I would say, beloved, if you keep track of anything that goes on in Christianity other than the United States, this is not a surprise to you right? This is a regular occurrence in other places. They don't expect anything else but this, so it's not a surprise to them. So these passages perhaps can be even more encouraging uh, to those who are currently going through some of the difficulties Paul names here. So you get to the end of Hebrews 12 1 and 3, how do you know you're a true servant of God? How do, you, how, do, how, do you, how do you know that? Paul says in verse 4, he says, but in everything, in everything, so whatever comes along, In everything, committing ourselves as servants of God, whatever comes along, you are using those things to commend yourself, right, as servants of God. So, whatever happens in everything, he says, commending ourselves as servants. Sune tantotes, present active participle. To show or make known, literally, to stand together with. That's what it means. But the idea there is, you are showing yourself to be, this is the, this is the reality of your life, as one who commends themselves as a servant of God. Whatever comes along, see, in everything commending. That's the idea. So how is one commended? How, how is somebody identified as commended in ministry? It, does it have to do with your degree from seminary? Would it, would it have to do with your education? How about right theology? Is that it? Is that how you commend yourself as a servant of God? By popularity, personality, giftedness, success, building a religious empire, by fame, by material prosperity, I think you could say, what? No. Paul says that a faithful servant of God is commended, listen to this, by their ability to what? Endure. Endure. They're commended by their ability to endure. They are presented as suitable for approval or acceptance. That's what it means. They are recommended by patiently sticking with it. And now, I want to point this out. We're not just talking about troubles in life. I mean, it, does, it is included, but we're not just talking about that. Job noticed that life brings some troubles with it. Job 14.1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil, right? Job noticed that. I think he has the right to say that, don't you? He's earned that. Just the fact that you're born into a fallen world is going to bring with it a whole bunch of trouble. And that appears to, to reference the fact that we live in a fallen world, which means we struggle with sin on a daily basis. And, and the results of that sin in every, in every form. See, we experience heartache and we experience pain and we witness natural disasters and, and staggering loss and, and health issues and injustice and inhumanity in and falsehood is everywhere. Uh, dispute and anxiety are really commonplace. None of this was God's original purpose for humanity. He didn't desire that to be the way it was. We, we fell from our original position in the Garden of Eden. We live in a fallen world and all creation groans under the consequences of our sin. And we're not just talking about that, okay? In fact, that's not the main emphasis, but that's certainly part of what we have to endure. And we're also not just talking about the troubles that come through the chastening of the Lord for our disobedience. That's part of it, but that's not the main emphasis here. Like, Uh, Heman the Ezraite, who wrote this in in, uh, Psalm 88, verse 3, he says, For my soul has had enough of trouble, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. How many have felt like that? You don't have to put up your hand. My soul has had enough of trouble, and my life has grown near to Sheol. Now, if you read the rest of that psalm, you realize he's under the Lord's chastening hand. He's done something. The Lord is displeased with that. He's chastening him because he loves him, and he's crying out to the Lord for mercy. And those things can play a part in endurance, but that is not Paul's emphasis here, Okay. As we're going to see later in the letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, uh, where Paul is revealing, he's revealed some of the marvels of, that the Lord's allowed him to see and know, some of the third heaven, and he's come back from that vision perhaps when he was stoned and appeared dead. We don't know when that happened, but he, he was able to see some marvelous things. And then in, in chapter 12, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So, the idea here is this. God knew what our blacksmith needed to learn, and so he knew how to make that happen. God knew what Heman uh, needed to learn, and so we see in Psalm 88.3, although Heman has had enough of trouble and his soul is drawn near to Sheol, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing with Heman. And God knew Paul better than he knew himself. He revealed some marvelous things to Paul and then gave him some uh, perhaps health issues uh, that he knew Paul needed. So he added some chastening to human's life and some adversity to Paul's life and and brought them where they needed to be. And those things diminished both their ability to trust in their own strength, and particularly for Paul, uh, his ability to trust in his own strength and his own power and his skill, and that was a benefit to Paul, and he grew to understand it as such. He began to say, so I'm good with that because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, even though he pleaded with the Lord to take it away three times. So it wasn't that he arrived there at this mature place immediately, but the Lord through that chastening and keeping him under control from exalting himself, Paul grew to accept it. Okay. Now we, we mentioned those two things, uh, trouble, life troubles and chastening as part of endurance and, and enduring them, they certainly have their earthly and eternal value. And we've looked at those things numerous times. But specifically here in chapter 6, Paul is referring to the ministry and and the tremendous commendability, if you will, of the minister who sticks with it. Now, there's going to be a number of categories listed here where the overriding character trait of a minister will be endurance. And there seems to be really three sets of three, so we'll just kind of look at them very briefly because I want to give you some handholds and you'll know when we get to the last set of three, we're almost done. Okay, So we won't get there today, and that's probably not a surprise to you. But the first set... Afflictions, hardships, and distresses. So that's expressed in general terms, and we're gonna look at those, and they will be familiar words to you. The second represents particular examples, and then hardships that are voluntarily undertaken. So the specific examples would be beatings, imprisonments, and tumults, and then labors, sleeplessness, and hunger. And, and when, we, when we need some examples of when this happened to Paul, it doesn't, we don't have to look far, right? We can look back in Acts, especially Acts 11, and the account of Paul's ministry in Acts really can illustrate many of these words for us. So we don't have to go very far to see what Paul's talking about. And we can call this first part experiences and hardship, where we're going to have to have some endurance, okay? And, then, and that really runs down through verse 5, if you're looking back there in 2 Corinthians 6. And then the second part is responses to hardship, and that takes us from there all the way through the end of verse 7. So that's kind of how we're going to go about it. So it's the highs and lows of ministry— dealing with difficulty, and so we're going to have some lows here for sure, and, and Paul's going to show us how to deal with them, but the main thing is endurance, endurance in those lows, okay? Now, as, um, there's some overlap, of course, here as we looked at those headings, and that's very normal with Paul, and it's very hard uh, sometimes as we read his writing to kind of nail down and say, okay, we got this point because Paul goes back around again. Paul, Paul's teaching kind of goes like this. It's kind of Scoops back through again, and then scoops back through again, and moves forward. And, and I like that because that really appeals to me, and I learned that way. But Paul does it too, so there's overlap here, and we're going to see that. And we just desire to put some handholds on the passage so we can come away enriched, and, and then later, and this is the thing, this is the application. Not surprised if we find ourselves in a similar situation, because we'll know what to do. See, that's that's what it means to be equipped for every good work, so that whatever comes along, you'll know how to respond to it. And endurance is that overriding header. So keep that in mind as we go through. Now, I don't need to point out, as we just read this passage, that it is emotionally charged. Especially if you've already been through some of those things. It is a super emotional passage. I also don't need to point out to you that there may not be a better passage in the Word of God that flies into the face of the false teaching of the prosperity gospel than this passage. The ministry of reconciliation and the urging and the pleading and the teaching that are part and parcel of that ministry catch this, beloved, is not the believer making claims on God. It is God revealing requirements of those who name his name. Do you catch that? In, in the prosperity gospel, in the name and claimant gospel, it is believers making claims on God. God, I believe it. I, you can do that for me, and I want you to do that for me, and I, I rebuke poverty, and I rebuke hardship, and I rebuke sickness, and, and all that false teaching, and I'm making demands on you, God. You do this. And I would say to you, That this passage flies into the face of that, because it is not men making demands on God. It is God making requirements and demands of men. Paul says, I am commended to you because of endurance. And then he's going to list off a whole bunch of stuff, and none of it is the poster for the prosperity gospel. So he requires us that we endure all kinds of difficulty, doesn't he? He requires that we walk with an unwavering step. In our responses, Paul here is carried along to describe the ministry that the Lord has given him, and in doing that, committing himself to the church, and by default, he defines ministry, which is willing to make sacrifices, to endure hostility, to be unpopular, to live as the gospel demands, not as the culture suggests, because he makes it clear that God commands the loyal ambassador not to popularity, but to endurance. And he gives us the grace and the strength we need, no doubt, and he does that right when we need it. So don't think you're just going to be out there floating on your own, and then the hardship's going to come, and you're like trying to deal with it. You've got the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give the grace you need. And if you've read any of the missionary stories throughout the years, you understand that's how that works, okay? But there could be no misrepresentation here. This isn't the name it, claim it, poster passage. God is the one making requirements here. Now, what kind of things does he require us to endure? Let's start with the general things. That's how we started. So endurance in afflictions is very general. That is the noun. Thlipsis, hard to say. Thlipsis sin is the noun form. That's the Greek word that means pressing pressure. We've seen it numerous times. Why? Because Paul talks about it a lot, and it is a common occurrence in the believer's life. Pressing pressure. That is the Greek word that means uh, it has to do with pressing grapes or pressing olives to extract what's in them, okay? But here, it refers to the ministry that's exerting pressure, because it's the ministry of reconciliation, and the ambassadorship, and the word of reconciliation that Paul is talking about. So this has to be the context. So... It's the ministry that exerts pressure. So that could be physical pressure, emotional, spiritual pressure, those crushing experiences that you have in the ministry when things are on you, when you need to, to do something and a the time is limited and you just feel like everything's weighing on you and change has weighed us down and, and that burdens the heart and things that are changing and, and people change and all that stuff, it pushes down. It may be overwhelming disappointment that's putting the pressure on you. And here's the deal, beloved. Paul is commended to them because he has endured these things, and here's what I would say to you, God has the same requirement from you, he expects you to endure under pressure, okay? If Paul is the example, if Paul has given us the understanding of what it looks like to Have the word of reconciliation and have the ministry of reconciliation and be an ambassador. And he's saying to them at the very beginning, you're not doing what you should do. Now's the time to do it. Don't forget, this is what you're called to do. then he just says, I'm going to commend myself to you. I'm going to tell you what it looks like to be a minister. I have a clear conscience as I've ministered among you. This is what it's going to look like. This is the level of commitment God is requiring from you. Here it is. Okay. And again, I just, again... I can't help but it draws my mind to these Facebook memes. They say, okay, the, you know, you don't have to do anything. Salvation is a free gift to you, and then you're just waiting. Okay, I get that you didn't earn salvation. That's good, okay? But it, he didn't save you for you to just kind of sit there. He's got some plans for you. And you've got, you've got an obligation, the Great Commission. That's on you every day. He who wins souls is wise. And will shine like the stars forever. Listen, this is our, this is our job. And, and in the midst of that, beloved, if you, if you look across the world and you see believers functioning in other cultures, you've got to understand pressure is part of it. And you perhaps have experienced that as well in ministry. There's pressure. And God expects us, and has that same requirement, because that's how we commend ourselves to the ministry. Here's the second one. Next general term in hardships and in case. It's a state of distress or trouble. The idea is this, something that's hard to live with, um, something that makes people suffer a lot, Uh, difficulties from which, this is the idea, there is no relief. So it's not a temporary difficulty, this is a continuing difficulty. As we talked about earlier, it could refer to the struggles of life, a health issue, a, a follow environment that affect ministry, difficulties that have no exit, though, is what we're really kind of looking at here. And in, in Paul's context, it likely refers to the circumstances that were part of the first century mission environment from which there was no relief, probably some of the travel difficulties and hardships that he had to, he had to endure. And for example, just to bring it close to home, so Eli and Jess, when they enter their tribal part of their ministry the heat and the bugs and the health and dysentery and the sickness that will all be part of living in the jungle in Brazil, that's this. That's hardships. That's difficulty from which there is not going to be an exit. Okay, That'll be a regular occurrence. They're going to have to deal with that. And Paul is commended to them because he has endured these things, and God has, beloved, the same requirements from you. He expects you to endure hardship. All right, let's look at the next one. In distresses, that is the noun cynocrius. That's where we get our term stenosis. That is a, a narrowing of a body passage. Literally here, though, it is a compound word, narrowness of place. So stenosis, narrow, cora is a place. So it's a compound word. Together, you're in a narrow place. That's a place where people can't turn around, okay? I drive a really long one-ton. I get in that problem a lot. I get into a place where I can't turn around. But I'm making light of something that's particularly important here. It's referring to those confining things in ministry. Those frustrating, narrow places. Places where it doesn't seem like there is any change possible. You might be in a ministry where it just seems like nothing's ever going to change about this. We just seem like we're in a rut the entire time and and it's not looking like anything's going to move. It's not going to be an opening, see. Perhaps it doesn't look like you... Thought it would look like. Perhaps it's not looking like you wanted it to look. It doesn't look like it's going to change to what you'd like it to be. That's the idea. Kind of an unrelenting difficulty, a monotony with no change in scenery. Did Paul experience that? Oh, most assuredly. Particularly with the church he's currently writing. It, it could be, you know, a rut the church won't pull out of, whatever. Paul, Paul had that kind of experience. And Paul says, I'm commended to you because I've endured these things and I will say to you then, again, God has the same requirement from you. He expects you to endure distresses. That's part of what his requirement for you will be in the ministry to a greater or lesser extent depending on where the Lord has you. Now, would now be a good time to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and whatever you ask for God, he'll definitely do for you? Is that when we present the gospel that way? That seems laughable and pretty hollow, doesn't it? It doesn't apply, does it? Because we understand the gospel. It, the gospel is a precursor to what? A walk in the life that is going to be full of difficulty and hardship if you're doing what you're supposed to do. See. Now look at verse 5, and here we get our next group of three things where instead of just general situations, we see some particular examples of things Paul has endured. We'll have a few illustrations here, but there you, again, you can look at in the book of Acts and you can see these things happening not just to Paul, but to many, many others who's, who were disciples of Christ. Paul has endured uh, things here that commend him to the church. In verse four, it says, "But in everything, committing ourselves as servants of God, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be a servant of God." And 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 you get this. I know, instead of us demanding of him to do what we want him to do, he has some requirements of us as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. So look at verse five. It says, uh, "In beatings." in imprisonments, in tumults, This keeps getting better, huh? It just goes from general to very specific. Let's look at the first one. In beatings, that is the noun plagues, it it refers to the mark, actually, that comes from an altercation. So it's not necessarily the whip itself, but what's left after the whip strikes or a blow strikes. Um, It could be a whip, it could be fists, it could be a rod or a reed, um, as Paul has has felt all of those things. Paul is in the temple in Jerusalem and the Jews who hated him so much, they find him there, remember this, and they drag him out and they begin to beat Paul with an intent to kill him. Remember in Acts chapter 21? They dragged him out of the temple and they're beating him with their fists and their desire is to end his life. And verse 32 says, and once he took along some, at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and And ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So Paul's delivered because the soldiers are running up. And and the Jews who were doing this don't want to have the marks of a beating on them. And so they let Paul go. But not just Paul. You know, in Corinth, they drag Paul to court, and the case is dismissed. You remember this when he first came, Um, and uh, the uh, Gallio was there, and he says, This is not a concern of mine. You know, take it to the courts if it's a problem, whatever. And uh, the Jews are there, and so they grab Sosthenes. Remember, he's the leader of the synagogue. And they took hold of Sosthenes in Acts 18, verse 17, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. So they're beating Sosthenes down, but but the proconsul doesn't care. So it's not just Paul getting hammered. Here's Sosthenes. He's taking a beating. And then... um, and we know later, Sosthenes, who was the leader of the synagogue, he comes to faith. Do you remember that? And, uh, and people kick him out, so Paul moves next door. So you know all that because we looked at it. But in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24, Paul says five times, talks about himself. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. So we're going to get a rundown on this later, how many times he's got the mark of the whip on him and the mark of the rods on him. But, but the fact of the matter is that this behavior against believers is very common around the world. This is not an unusual thing. See, and Paul had that kind of experience, beloved, and, and um, he is commended to them because he has endured. Remember, that's our main word. He's endured these over and over, and God, I would say to you, has the same requirement from you. He expects you to endure the bearing of marks, if that be the case, see. And beloved, that's hard to say, isn't it? And that's hard to hear, and I've wrestled with this all week, see, because that is so far from our reality that we would assume that if this happened, that it was completely wrong and outside of God's will by a mile, wouldn't we? That's how we, would, that's how we would receive it. We, and we live in a culture where we would get a lawyer and, and we'd sue for assault and there'd be a felony involved and all that, okay. And we lived in a place where because of, our Christian forefathers and the laying and, and the giving of the law and all that has happened, we have that protection, but listen, there are millions and hundreds of millions of people around the world, no such protection, no such protection. So, I would say to you with a clear conscience, it really can 't mean anything else, not just looking at paul 's day, but if we look at Christianity worldwide, we can 't think this. In an isolate I think this is some kind of isolated event for Paul, and that isn't really what the Lord is talking about here. So you can find a Paul and no one else. This is a daily event in China. Daily event in China. It's probably it probably happened yesterday thousands of times across the country. Marks. See. Pauling now this is our encouragement and certainly a great encouragement to those who, who are in these places where this is occurring, but 2 Thessalonians 1 4 Paul encourages the church in his letter because he knows this is going on. In verse 4 he says, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions that you endure. That perseverance and faith is a synonym. Of course, that perseverance is a synonym to our endurance. Perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So there's, it's a sentence and it's easy to read, but if we break it down we just realize you know, there's some persecution going on and there's some affliction that they're enduring presently and paul's proud of them because they've gone through with perseverance see and then he says this this is a plain indication of god's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of god for which indeed you are suffering for after all it's only just for god to repay with affliction those who afflict you so is god keeping track of all the marks oh yeah is god keeping track of all the difficulty and the hardship and what absolutely not a part has escaped his notice, see, and, and, get, and to give relief. So he's, he's, taken, he's taken note of it. You've endured and done well. You've received Paul's accolades. In, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says he's commended to the church because he's gone through it. Has the Lord forgotten all of Paul's marks? No. See, and he's going to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. Paul just, he understands how this is going, Right? when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, there's gonna come a day where there's gonna be no more marks given. And there's gonna come a day where there's gonna be no more beatings, there's gonna come a day where there'll be no more affliction, no more hardship, no more pressing pressure, and some of the other things we're gonna see in just a minute, because the Lord's gonna put an end to it. Do you think it's gonna go on when he arrives with his angels with flaming fire? Ah, uh, no. And then there's gonna be payday someday, right there, right? Payday someday. He hasn't forgotten any of this, Right? He knows how to do this. Mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. One day it's all going to be set right. And the martyrs in Revelation 6, what do they call out for? Please give us vengeance. Our lives were, were forfeit for the gospel. Please avenge our blood. And the Lord says, "A little, just wait a little bit. It's going to happen. And God isn't shy about avenging the wrongs. See? But in the meantime, what? Endurance. In the meantime, endurance, see. Then look at the next part of verse 5. Imprisonments, obviously, you don't need a Greek word to understand that. Wrongfully jailed, held captive for being a believer. Again, China, huge violator here, Middle East, Islam, North Korea. You know, it's happening all over the world. It happened last Sunday in Cuba. Did you read that? Uh, the, the the evangelist there in cuba was captured and taken to jail beaten by the uh, federal police i wonder and here's what i think about when i think about joel olstein and t.d jakes and Benny bennehan and joyce meyer i wonder what those subject to imprisonments and beatings and hardships around the world i wonder what they think when they hear joel olstein and t.d jakes and Benny bennehan and joyce meyers of the world they must think, well, I must not have enough faith because I'm in prison. They must think, you know, I'm I'm destitute or I'm sick. If I just had enough faith, none of this would be. Do you think they think that? <laughs> they think that's stupid. That's foolishness. That's foolishness because the Bible doesn't teach that, see. Paul was commonly in prison. He did a lot of writing from prison, as a matter of fact. Four of his 13 letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, were written under house arrest. He, he witnessed constantly while chained to guards. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? And you didn't want to hear the gospel? So sorry, pal. You're going to hear it all the time. And he led people to Christ in Caesar's house, right? We, we know many in the, household of faith, uh, in the household of Caesar were led to faith because Paul was there. And who, and who knows how many guards and how many servants and others who interacted with Paul and heard Paul as they walked by and brought Paul food. And what's he doing? He's, he's in prison and he's witnessing. See, he's enduring, right? Not sitting there thinking, oh, woe is me. You know, God must not really like me very much because I must not have enough faith to be out and be prospering. Because here I am sitting in prison. Paul's committed to this church as a minister because he's endured this over and over. And if need be... God has the same requirement from you. He expects you to endure imprisonments. And our last one for today, because we're out of time. Look at verse 5. In Tolmance, a uh, katastasia, a compound noun, as you can hear. last part of the word is where we get our word stasis. A uh is negative, kata is down, stasis is standing. So it's a time of instability. Unable to stand, that's the idea. It really has to do with uncertainty, that's what it means. You know, when you're standing firm in, in your beliefs and, and what you think you know you should do, right, you, you feel fairly, fairly confident that you made the right decision. When things are in upheaval or you perhaps have made a wrong decision or something is thrown in there that you didn't know, you're unsure, that's, that's the position, unsure, uncertain. Does Paul suffer, did he to suffer from that? Did Paul know, sure, we looked at it before. It was one of the things Paul had to go through. He was uncertain, but he knew the God who was certain. Paul wasn't sure where to go next sometimes, but he knew that the Lord had that step planned out. But here's the thing. It's a time of instability, of disorder. It can be anything from an upheaval in life, instability, things of, in you know, a constant state of flux and change, the middle of a move, middle of, of, of uh, you know, different things going on in your life. Certainly describe Paul's life after his salvation, right? Constant state of flux, a whole new learning curve, And it described his life during his missionary trips, constant state of flux, didn't know where he was going to sleep, didn't know what was going to happen, walking across the land, crossing rivers, crossing oceans in the deep, all that constant state of upheaval, not sure where to go next. It can refer to the riots and the civil disorder he had to endure, right? He wasn't ever sure when the mob would break out and come running towards him, right? Those things are all through Acts 13, 14, 19, 21. He faced a mob violence in Damascus and Jerusalem and Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus. By the time he wrote this letter, he'd already faced the mob in those places, and there was still more to come after he wrote this letter. So, was he scared sometimes? It appears so, because the Lord has to come to him sometimes in a vision to say, don't, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. No one's going to harm you. Preach the gospel. So, the Lord had to steady his heart. He, he was unsure. He was afraid. The sentence of death on him. We've seen that before, Right? Going out, knowing that there was a sentence already of death. He could die at any time. And when he was feeling strong, what did he say? If the Lord's not done with us, he can raise the dead, so we're not really worried. So, Paul is commended for this. And, and that's certainly the case still with believers all around the world. Uncertainty, unknowing what's going to happen next. He's commended to this church, and he's commended, commending himself as a faithful minister because he has endured this over and over. And guess what? I love it. You know what I'm going to say, right? God has the same requirement from you. He expects you to endure in uncertainty. Next time we're going to look at the last three, which were the ones that were voluntary. That first part, experiences and hardship, and that really runs down through the end of chapter, uh, verse 5. Labors, sleeplessness, hunger. So those three are voluntary, and you can tell they were by choice, and because they were by choice, I'd like to spend a little bit more time here than we have left, because I think that's important when some of these things, some of these things are going to be thrown on you. You're not going to have a choice. Some of these things are choices, and, uh, and we'll look at that before we move into the next part of the passage, which is responses and hardship. So, these, these are experiences, and then we're going to see some responses, and you can see that at, starting in verse, that at the end of chap, uh, verse 5. So Paul had some marks of faithfulness, and and you and I can see them, but the mark of Paul's faithfulness wasn't his wealth. In fact, he didn't seem to have much by way of material things, and when he did have them, he made it clear in Philippians that he had learned to be content with little or with a lot. It didn't really matter one way or another. And, And the mark of Paul's faithfulness wasn't the fact that he had succeeded so much in the ministry. Because if you look at the way some of the churches were and his own countrymen talked about him and how the churches criticized him, he didn't appear to be very good at what he did if you measured it that way. Okay? The way the untaught modern church measures things like that. So you couldn't say he was extremely popular and very wealthy and so that proved God's blessing on his life and committed him to the church. I would say, no, the badge of his faithfulness was not wealth. It wasn't popularity. It wasn't his health, certainly. His outer man was wearing out. He speaks of himself in Philemon 9. Do you remember this? He's barely even, if he's 60, it, it's a, it, perhaps it's a surprise. He's probably a little bit less than 60. And he says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul the aged. I'm Paul the aged. He felt the miles, to me wasn't that he was that old, but he'd been through quite a bit. I'm Paul the Aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And, and when he wrote that, if he was over 60, he was just barely there, his body's worn out. So it wasn't all of the factors that seem to be what the modern church think is great. The health and the popularity and the, and the wealth and, and all of that, see? And what success would perhaps look like uh, to an untrained eye. The gauge and the mark of his commending faithfulness was the fact that he endured without giving up, see. He continued the work of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation, and as an ambassador of Christ, faithfully over the long haul, and he didn't give up, see. And Lord willing, we'll look at more of that next week because we're just, we're gonna get those three voluntarily ones, voluntary ones, and then we're gonna see responses in hardship and I hope it's a blessing to you. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer if you would. Lord, we thank you today for a blessing of being together. It's such a joy to be with one another, to receive the blessing of fellowship, as we'll see in just a moment, going downstairs for Acts 2.46. We're so grateful, Lord, that we can uh, have a dinner together and break bread and, and enjoy one another's company. Father, I, I pray that... Um, These types of things, as they begin to sink in, will begin to change perhaps how we perceive you and your great love for us and your great investment in us that you have given to us this ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation, and you've called us your ambassadors, and we are to beg on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And in the middle of all of that perhaps will come hardship because the servant isn't greater than the master. Lord, help help that to change our understanding. And we know, Father, that you have given us many good things here in, in the U.S. We know that we are protected from much of the things the world has to endure on a daily basis. And for that, we're very grateful. So help us to be good stewards of that. Because we have freedom to do the things we have, help us to use that freedom in a mighty way to make sure that you are speaking through us and we are your voice and your hands and your feet. Lord, thank you today for great blessing of salvation and the fact that you supply every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We, we don't deny that and we don't lack for anything. But it's folly to think that we name and claim as if we have some claim to demand you do some certain thing. Help us to remember who's in the position of authority. And what you've said over and over, starting with Jesus and his disciples and all the way through the letters to the church in the New Testament, have to do with enduring and doing what we should be doing as we should be doing it with the intensity and fervency over the long haul. That commends us to the church and certainly in your sight. Thank you for our salvation, for Jesus who has died and rose and given us that wonderful salvation. Help us to grow and grace, and knowledge of this wonderful Savior. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God said, all people said, amen.